0: How do you bring competitors together and share the same vision, focused to kind of the greater good of a community, but being mindful that there is competitive proprietary nature? Hey,
1: what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to the Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get started. Hello, everybody! Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Uh, I have a great guest in the building today. I have Amanda Simmons. She's the executive vice president at Health Center Partners. Uh, Amanda, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah. So before we get into the, the discussion at hand, because you know I think it's a an important discussion because I feel like a lot of health centers and health organizations have been kind of having to do this a lot more due to the pandemic, it feels like. Um, But before we get into that, uh, how about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what gets you up in the morning?
0: Yeah, great. Um, So as you mentioned, I'm Amanda Simmons. I'm the executive vice president uh, at uh, HCP, um, and I specifically am over Integrated Health Partners, which is a clinically integrated network in Southern California um, of we have nine FQHCs uh, representing about 300,000 attributed um, lives now. And so, very large network um, focused to change in the San Diego and Riverside counties. Um, And so I actually am based in Houston, Texas, and you'll notice my lovely southern twang as we (laughs) as we chat. Um, We went virtual uh, when COVID hit as an organization. And so I did not have to relocate when I took the position. Um, I do travel back to San Diego quite a bit. But um, and so uh, I am in Houston, Texas. I am um, born and raised Texan and uh, I love being here. So what gets me up in the morning I have to say, um, I have a three-year-old, so oh, she's a human work. alarm clock. So I mean, <laughs> no matter what day of the week, six a.m. is her time, and so it's time to shine. Um, and and it's funny because she threatens my well-being. Is what I say is because she wakes up and says, "Mommy, do you want a pow pow?" And that's her threat to get me out of bed. And so she's my what wakes me up. My why. Um, You know, I love when my family is my driver. My husband and children are my everything. I am a I'm a family centered person. Um, And and I'm just my style. I'm a servant leader. It's just it's my nature. And so I love getting up and doing what I do. I have been a mission focused person all of my career. Um, I love that I'm able to help and serve vulnerable communities that need me. Um, I found out early in my career that I was not a healthcare provider. It wasn't my thing. I don't do mm-hmm. well in that space, um, but I do want to help, and so I love healthcare and the dynamics of it. And so my mission is what gets me up every morning. How do I come to work and try to impact, even if it's small, on a daily basis? So, that's right, that's me. that's
1: amazing. That's amazing. And you, you know, and bef- before we get into it, you, I mean, what I've noticed a lot about you know. Um, Leaders in, in helping professions or in, in healthcare organizations, when they have kind of a heart like yours, um, it's, this, it's their why and it's also very draining because it's their why. Right. You know, h- how do you deal with that dynamic of this what gets me up in the morning, but sometimes, um, I have to go to sleep with the little glass of wine at the end of the day. <laughs> and
0: you have to define little glass of wine. It's all relative, right? Um, Especially in
1: Texas, I get it.
0: <laughs> you know what I, I learned long ago is that there, we, we are never going to solve all of everyone's problems, right? And I, as a young and up and coming leader, used to bear everyone's problems on my shoulders. And it, it was just my nature. And what I found was, as at the end of the day, I had to really, I started journaling and doing things and making notes, because if I didn't find that disconnect between work and home, I brought everything home. Um, And so now what I do, and and obviously working from home, makes it more challenging, right? Because you, it's hard to disconnect. And so I, my office is actually connected to my house. I shut the door. And, and I make that disconnect um, and it's it's a literal disconnect of, okay, computers stay in here, you know, and I make myself a list of, okay, these are the things I didn't get to, but also reflect on the things that I did accomplish for the day, right? What are the tiny impacts that I did make today? Um, and I do the same thing with my kids is, you know, you can't solve world hunger in a day, but what you can do is feed one additional person to help, you know, mm. what are the tiny impacts you make? And then, do you reflect? I'm a very I, I'm I spend a lot of time in self reflection. What did I do wrong? What did I do good? Don't spend a lot of time in the wrong, you know. But I think there right. are ways to grow as an individual. So, just keeping that in mind, you're not going to fix it overnight,
1: but right. you're and making a change, absolutely. And, w- and with what you do, trying to to fix some of these you know inequities that are going on, or, or what what you do with your in your profession, um, is is a big one you talk a lot about co-opetition. I've never heard that term before, but it was, it was really, really fun to kind of hear about it and learn more about what this, what this looks like. So can you explain a little bit, what is co-opetition?
0: Right. And and I love as a, as a Texan, I love to make words up. It's just my thing. I cannot say that I can coin this phrase because I think it's a California phrase. Um, so coopetition, and it's even hard to say, right? When when your brain doesn't know it's a word. Um, it's basically the combination of competitive partners in a collaborative space, right? How do you bring competitors together and share the same vision, focused to kind of the greater good of a community, but being mindful that there is competitive proprietary nature that healthcare is a business at the end of the day, the bottom line is a bottom line. Right. And so that's kind of what competition is, is how do you get strong leaders together? Iron sharpens iron to really drive change to a focused community. And, and that's what our clinically integrated network is. That's our root. That's what we're founded on.
1: Right, right, and I saw this a lot during the, especially during the pandemic, where we would see multiple healthcare organizations coming together to talk about the benefit, the you know, getting people to go get vaccinated or wear your mask or or, or stay at home. Can you kind of you know talk a little bit about you know when you're in those meetings or in that circle with other competitors? What are those conversations like? What do you, what's the plan? What are you guys trying to to do for the people?
0: So the conversations, um, you know, like I said, making sure that there's strategic alignment and transparency is key because we need to ensure that there is one common thread of everything we do. Um, Health equity is that common thread for us. And so ensuring that patients have access to the care they need. And I always say, remember that equity and equality are different, right? Equality is giving the same person, the same people, everything the same, equity is giving the individualized person what they need. So it's different, right? And so our health center sitting at the table together can honestly give patients different things based on their own um, platform or what they offer. Um, What I love about healthcare is healthcare is a unique market, right? We're not oil and gas. We're not any other industry. Everyone needs healthcare. It's not a want, it's not a desire. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to keep in mind is that there are plenty of patients to serve. We just have to serve them in, the, in their unique need and in the most effective manner to get the quality outcomes you know we need. Our organization focuses on vulnerable populations. We're about 96% Medi-Cal, which is a Medicaid population. Again, 300,000 lives. And so one of the things that we really focus to is population health management. Those, pop, those patient-centered approaches that are based on evidence-based criteria that are best practices. How do you build a patient model listening to the patient, but create uniqueness of all of those partners that are sitting at the table? And so it's really interesting. There's a lot of um, great conversations that happen between uh, CMOs, you know, chief medical officers Mm -hmm. and the leadership. Um, We do this, we do that. You know, how do we share best practices? Um, In the very beginning, it it does. The competition tends to rear its head. Uh, You know, I can't say that because it's proprietary. Well, let's get around that some way. Um, We don't ask them to share proprietary information that's unique to them. But we do ask them to share learnings and best practices so that we can truly impact a larger population. Um, Our network has grown about 40,000 lives um, in the last 18 months. Um, and so again, there's plenty need there for us to address. That's kind of where we, where we try to stay focused.
1: Right. Do you feel like the, the idea of, you know, collaborating with your competition, is this a a new idea or is this something that's been going on forever? It just hasn't really, um, had this big of a light on it.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's natural in the healthcare community. It has been going on forever. I don't think it's been going on to the degree it is now. So again, the pandemic, um, the, the focus back to true equity, you know, I think there's a health equity is not new. It, it has been a conversation for years. Um, but now we're truly seeing that the impact to patient communities comes out of focused equity. Um, and so, health systems, hospitals, health centers, you name it, are now having to think smarter and say, you know, cost is only increasing. At some point, something's got to give. We got to get smarter with how we treat patients and how we engage our patients um, to do that. So I think it's just amped up. I think, um, you know, it's a whole new lens that we're looking through now. Um, And that's sometimes what a crisis brings to you, right? A new lens. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And it seems like it's a lens that's not not really going anywhere anytime, anytime soon. You, you know, um thinking of the the population that you serve, um, and you know that health equity piece, you know, to me, and I would love your thoughts on this. Regardless of who you're competing with or who you're collaborating with, the patient's gonna go where they wanna go. Mm-hmm. Right. So is there is there a sense of as you're trying to collaborate, is there a sense of, okay, do we try to make sure that they're coming to us? Or is that even <laughs> is that even a thought? Because I feel like if I see a commercial or I see a group of um chief medical officers together, and I'm like, ooh, I need that service, I am I feel like I'm I'm gonna go where I feel comfortable or where I wanna go. I'm not gonna go to who I think talks the best or or whatever the case may be.
0: Right. Yeah. And what's interesting is within our network, we have a no wrong door policy. So again, nine FQHCs, we have 84 clinical sites that spread all of Southern California. And so a patient may be attributed to a certain health center, but they can go to any 84 site. And so they can see the competition on primary care services based on their need. And what we do is we create Models that incentivize that behavior for our primary care physicians and our health centers to have open access, and so it brings the term of open access to a whole nother level, right? It's not just nights, after hours, weekends kind of thing. Our patients have access to all of our health centers, um, and so what we, the way that we manage that is through funds flow models and, and aligning incentives of our health centers and our providers, and and really again taking a patient centered approach of you know Amanda needs to get in, and unfortunately, she's moved to a different location. Hasn't changed her primary care provider, but she can still go to to this health center. You know to see a different provider. Um, patient choice, in my opinion, is of the topmost priority. Right? We get a choice when we get to get choose Walmart or versus Target, or you know when we're buying a good. Patients have the same choice. It's just a harder way to navigate in healthcare. Um, and so, what we tell our providers all the time is, our focus is to quality. Give every patient the right to have the best outcome in their in, in their chosen healthcare, right? And so, show them in quality and show them in customer service. And if patients are loyal. They they find their doc, they lock in. How you know my pediatrician with my kids have I've been with her twenty years. And and my twenty year old finally, I said, you have to move on, you know. <laughs> but we're loyal because, I mean, you build relationships with your patients, and that, that's what my health centers do. They they build relationships. We don't think about that patient only when they're in our, our four walls. You know, we have care management structures. We have social care management structures that are thinking about that patient from a social determinant perspective. You know, are there food insecurities? Are there housing insecurities? Um, so it becomes a family, and in an extended family, right within our network right. of all of those health centers. So that kind of helps break down the, those dynamics. Is is helping with with breaking down some of the structure in the beginning of, of the model?
1: Do you feel like the relationship the the pa- the patient provider patient healthcare organization that relationship how has that changed over the years? Because I feel like just from my perspective that from the organization side we need to do a whole lot more to keep that relationship but what what are your thoughts on that how has that relationship changed or or has it changed do you feel
0: i think it's tr- changed tremendously um and and you know if you can look at one good thing that comes out of a pandemic the technology that has been advanced due to the pandemic alone has been it has been tremendously helpful. Now, what's in, what I find interesting is um, when you think of the change, you've got to look at it in segments. Right. So the, the, the aged population was impacted differently than the younger populations due to technology. So in some ways we did widen the gap of equity, unfortunately, because um, some people either don't have access to the technology. They don't understand it. I can tell you, put my mom on a telehealth visit. It's not going to go well, yeah. Um, just because that is her age group, and she's not comfortable with the cell phone. She just got a smartphone, smartphone, and so um, I think technology has really been an advancement in this place that's really helped us in some ways, hurt us. But what we're trying to do is to make sure we we're mindful of that, right? Oh, increasing that access, making sure that the the telly is continued to be funded, because. That's one of the limitations, right? Our our payment models within the U.S. um, sometimes hurt us with the most vulnerable populations because the fee-for-service model, in my opinion, it's not a long-term model. And so what we've tried to do is um, I, I think the docs have the weight of the world on their shoulders. You know, these poor docs, we just push more and more down to them, see more patients, higher quality, make sure the patient's compliant with all these things, you know, on and on and on. And we've got to step it back a little bit and say, you know, really, it takes a village to do this. It's not just MDs. It's not just DOs. It's not just DCs, whatever initial the doc has behind their names. Um, What community-based organizations do we have at the table to talk about, you know, true community impact? Um, What payers do we have at the table to talk about, hey, you know, we're all responsible for this patient community. I'll do this. You do that. It's, it's, you know, the, the, the term, it takes a village, right? Yeah. It takes a village to, to truly care for a patient population. And so that's another advancement that I think has been in, in our network. we have been really pushing is it's not all the docs are not accountable for everything. We've got to be mindful of that. Um, they need help just like our patients need help, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You brought up a very good point when it comes to, closing the gap. And it's like, we find one solution. It's like, hey, we have the solution. And we we feel like we're closing this gap. And then there's a whole other population like, hey, what about me? And it's like, oh, dang. <laughs> what did we do here? And it's like, yeah. there's always, if it's not one thing, it's it's another. And it's like, telehealth is great. And I feel like telehealth shouldn't go anywhere. But we also got to think about those patients who, when you say tele-anything, they don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be in person or give me a phone call or like I need to see you face to face. All of that, all of those things happen and we're kind of seeing that a whole lot more now.
0: Yeah. And I think recognizing so social determinants of health. Um, everyone has a social determinant of health. We we historically, when you look back on SDOH, people would you would classify patient groupings. Oh, there's their social determinant of health is is homelessness or insecurities of food or or or. And I'm a huge proponent that no, everyone has a social determinant of health. You've just got to find it, right? And so I think we found it with telemedicine. The gap in either access to Wi-Fi or the gap in learning of comfort and technology. And being mindful of that as we create care models, as we create reform efforts, even federally and and within the states, it's important. Um, I spend a lot of time pushing, one, what's our value? Everything we do every day should have a value somewhere. And two, what is our community saying? So do we take time to really stop and listen to the communities we serve? Or do we just assume they need these things And do it. And then it doesn't work. Right. Telemedicine. Right. We assumed it was going to be the fix for all. We roll it out. We find the new gap and disparity over here with the aged population or the 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 Wi-Fi insecurities. Um, And then we go, well, man, we thought that was going to be the fix. Well, we didn't listen. You know, right. Um, We do a lot of things in our network on listening tours. How do we listen to the providers? How do we listen to the patients? How do we listen to the health systems? Everyone's got a need. Let's figure out where they align.
1: Right. And that was, that was going to be my question. Cause I feel like out of all of this, that is, that is a, the listening to the patient and what their needs are is a huge problem. But also Amanda, there's an issue of there's cultural issues too, where someone may not really say how they feel or don't know how to, or does not speak English, how do you get to those populations and really understand what they need when one, they're not telling you, or mm-hmm. two, they don't know how to tell you.
0: Right. Right. The, the, the health literacy boundaries, the cultural boundaries, yeah, especially in the vulnerable populations, it, it, it's, it's huge. Um, and you know, if you, if you take it back to some roots, one of the things that I've always found interesting was in the academic space, right? Schools of right. medicine, the graduation of the culture, you know, looking at the blend of graduates that are coming out and things, we've got to do a better job at getting a more of a diverse model within our med schools to serve the patients that are there and truly be representative of the patient communities. Um, And, and we're not there yet. I I don't think we're there yet. Um, And so patients access providers that, you know, I, I I went to this provider because that's who my payer told me to, or that was the first available. But you know, they aren't necessarily culturally aligned with me or understand my dynamics. And and again, it's hard to tell doctors you need to learn all these things to treat these patients. Okay, wait a minute, I went through med school and learned all these things to treat the patients, right? And so um trying to really go back to the training and things. I think it's important. Um, I spent 10 and a half years at Baylor college of medicine on the the clinical practice side, but got to see academics in a whole new, uh, lens. Um, and again, pushing more and more to the providers, but also let's give them the tools they need to understand and to, to diversify. And it may not be the provider community. It may be the workforce, right? Our care managers, our patient navigators, um, does your workforce represent your patient population?
1: Right, um, who are it, also a part of that co- healthcare collaboration team yes. that can help that doctor take a whole lot away from that doctor, so they don't have to focus on they can they can focus on what they went to school for and and be able to care for that patient, and that team right. around them um, can focus on the other things. No, I I, I agree. What are or you know what are some ideal stakeholders outside of other health centers, you know, are there other stakeholders within healthcare that are great for collaboration?
0: Oh gosh, anybody that that has access or impacts a patient, right? And so hospitals, health systems, community-based organizations, uh, the payer community, uh, municipalities within counties, um, there are so many because if you think of healthcare care from the lens of social care, not just clinical care, what impacts a patient? You know, there's been studies that show social determinants impact 80 percent of a patient's outcomes and that only 20 percent of the outcomes are related to care received. So think about it. All the efforts and the money and the energy we're putting in is impacting that patient by 20 percent. Let's swing it over, you know, let's talk to the community-based organizations who, you know, have health fairs and, and um, food pantries and, you know, HIV prevention, whatever it might be, um, to really go to the patient, meet the patients where they are. I know it's, it's a huge buzz, but it's, it's a big deal. That's important. Um, so I would say the broader, the better, you know, and again, don't assume listen to your patients. They'll tell you.
1: Yeah. I, I say all the time, I wouldn't be able to help half of the patients I see if it wasn't for these community organizations that are helping them with rent relief or, yeah. you know, someone trying to focus on improving their A1C, but they don't know how they're going to pay their rent next month. You, you know, how do well, I they help don't that have person? have
0: a refrigerator, right? To put their yeah. medications in. Um, in Texas, in the heat, right? we struggle. It's it's tremendously hot here. Um, and there there have been, you know, payers that stepped in and given, you know, AC units and things of that nature. <coughs> Excuse me, but it's just it needs to be at a broader scale, you know, larger.
1: Right. Right. What are what are some barriers to co-op petition?
0: Oh, goodness. Barriers. None. we all kumbaya together and everything's perfect um so i think the largest one is um competitive strategies that have misaligned intent and what i mean by that is you you join let's just say for example you join the network and and you come in thinking well i'm joining this network because there's a profit in it for me i'm going to get additional dollars whatever it might be well, you get into the network and it's, it's you know, yes, of course, we, money makes the world goes around. There's no, you know, mission without margin. I got it. But the reinvestment back in is, is imperative. And so if you have that misalignment or if you have lack of transparency, that's a huge hurdle. And so we, we really try to focus those two efforts to make sure we're all aligned and there's transparency. Um, others would be workforce so I'm sure everyone feels it. The workforce market is, it's crazy. Um, and, and so you have competitors competing, not just for patients, but also for the workforce. And so we try to have conversations around, let's make sure our workforce are happy and trained where they are. And then that way they don't move because it, they can move within us or outside of us. So let's keep our workforce strong um, I always tease in Houston in the medical center, a doc can change employers without changing parking spots. That's how competitive it is. And so, let's make sure we're listening to our our workforce as well and make improvements there. Um, data. If I if I did a, a an interview without talking about data, I think people would like revolt and say I'm I'm you know not true. Um, you know, there's so much data in healthcare yet we do not have the integrated tools to be able to share data and to really learn from data due to you know regulatory or HIPAA or whatever it may be. Um, As a network, we we brought on a a population health management tool where we integrate all EMR data. And so again, that patient having access to all of the clinical sites, a doc as a patient comes to them, can see a unilateral record for that patient who may have been bouncing. And so that's important, but it is a challenge. It's, it's technology is costly. It's something that you don't implement and then go away. It's an ongoing cost. Right. And so that becomes a challenge and a barrier for, for, um, for all of the health systems or providers that are involved. Um, so those are some the funding models I think are also a barrier. The the history of, of fee for service and, and volume in a provider space is coming back to haunt us, right? Now we're we're pushing value and quality, but we expect it to be turned on a dime um, with misaligned incentives at all levels. Um, and so we have to keep that in mind and make sure that they're, you know, aligned incentives is not just for those in, in the cooperation, right. It's, it's, it's all the way down to the provider, to the front desk staff, to the, anyone that may have access to the patient. So um, those are some of the barriers that we see. And I could, we could probably do a whole show on just the barriers.
1: (laughs) Right. But it sounds like we've made some great steps forward, but you know, there's, there's a lot that we can do to, to improve, you know, uh, the healthcare system, healthcare communities. Um, but we've made some, we've made some good steps forward. It sounds like.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, if you look 15 years back and just reflect, it's, it's, there's been tons of advancement in in this space. Um, the struggle is our populations are getting sicker and sicker. Mm -hmm. There's, there's more and more need. And so are we staying, are we moving as fast as our patients need us to move? Um, and so a lot of focus, I, in my opinion, needs to come back to the root cause of, 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 you know, why do you have diabetes? What lifestyle choices are you making that are impacting that? We have to remember patients are at the table with us. So that patient gets a choice of not just medical provider of what food they choose the night before. And so let's educate and let's bring awareness to things, uh, that are, that are, you know, really plaguing our communities, um, So that health literacy and educational components is important as well. So a lot to do.
1: (laughs) A lot to do. But Amanda, it sounds like you're doing a great job over there at uh, Health Center Partners, Is doing everything you can to make sure that that these things happen. So I appreciate your time and your value. I have so many notes and so many things that I can go over. So thank you so much Um, for anybody listening or wants who wants to know more about you or health center partners or anything, where can they, where can they find you at?
0: So um, it is Um. Yep. Yeah, i just had to double check myself to make sure that was right. I don't go on my website very often or HCP SoCal.org. Um, and all of our leadership is there. And, and I love outreach. And so if anyone hears this and says, Hey, I'm interested, I want to chat. I, I think healthcare, one of the great dynamics is that the networking community is mm-hmm. it's really a small world if you think about it, but yeah. let's learn from each other, reach out and say, Hey, how did y'all do this? Or, you know, we're struggling here. Um I just, I, I like to learn from others as well.
1: Yeah. And, and that's, that is an aspect. And I want to be mindful of your time. But collaborating outside of your region or where you're at, I mean, there are so many different ways you can collaborate. Oh, that's a good question. Why did not I think of that? Anyway, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: good. And I'll have all those links in the um, in the description of the podcast episode, so anybody listening, um, they can go right to that as well. But um, Amanda, again, thank you so much for being on with me today. I truly appreciated it. Um, and everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I'll you next time.